Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Session 13, and it's gathered and positioned to year part two. I just want to quickly, before we get into that, just quickly list the principles we discussed last week. I'm not going to elaborate on them, but just to list them because tonight's study is a direct um, continuation from that session. Okay, And so last week we discussed gathered and positioned to year part one, and we spoke about the need for hearing. Everyone say hearing. So how shall they, Romans 10 says, how shall they hear unless there's a preacher that preaches the word to them. And so when they hear the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So there has to be the hearing of the word for faith to be engendered. Faith comes by hearing. But how can they hear unless they are under the sound of a voice, is my paraphrase. How can they hear unless there is a preacher that is speaking the word to them? And how can the preacher preach, Paul would argue, unless the preacher is sent? So you have the sent dynamic, you have the karuks, or the declarer, the preacher of word, you have the recipients of the word, those who hear the word. In the hearing of the word, faith is the result. And that, in the context of Romans 10, it says, that person hears, he believes in his heart, confesses with his mouth, Jesus as Lord, he is saved. So the salvation is the spiritual result to be achieved, okay? But all of that is conditional upon accurate hearing. And then that was the prelude to the main focus of the study, which was, if hearing is so essential to manifest a spiritual result. In the context of Romans 10, it was, he preaches because he is sent, Sound of his voice is the word of the Lord. Hearers pick up the sound of God's voice. Faith is engendered. They believe. Spiritual result is attained. So spiritual results could be aborted if there is no positioning to hear. That's where I get the title from. Gathered and positioned to hear. There has to be a people if I don't think we have a problem with the sent dynamic. There are valid, authentic, sent ones declaring word to us. I think our problem why there's no spiritual results is there's no positioning to hear. Right? And this theme we will f- follow over the next few week- weeks in parts. Right? Gathered and positioned to hear. The problem is with the hearing. Now, um, next week we'll talk about accurate hearing, but I first want to ensure that something is heard. You can't tweak your, your, your hearing skill unless you hear. You have to catch sound. You have to catch frequency. In other words, you have to be in a place where the word is declared for you to hear it 
And then afterwards, we can, we can start to fine hone or fine tune your listening skills in order for the result of faith, which manifests in obedience, to come. Okay? Are you all with me? Okay? So that is, that is the, con- the context of these few parts in the series. Gathered and positioned to hear. We spoke, for example, that um, the very essence of the church, Ecclesia, involves a gathering. Ecclesia, those called out. So you're called out. There's always a group called out from the masses to gather, to hear the word of the Lord. Second principle, we, we spoke that the gathering must be in the nature of Christ. Two or three are gathered in my name, in my nature, and gathered with the intent of doing my will. Name purpose and function, right? Principle four, we said that gathering involves physically meeting together. There are many scriptures which says the place where they had gathered was shaken. There's some transactions that take place at the place of the gathering, okay? And you can always rehearse via DVD, CD, video, etc. But uh, modern technology is no substitute for the need to gather, right? Each thing has a as a, as, is, as a purpose and a, and a place. Principle five, we said our gathering is God-focused. Everyone say God-focused. But the very next principle was, I said, you gather unto a man. And one does not contradict the other. The, the focus is Godward, but God has a representation on the earth around which people gather. And we use several examples. Uh, the, the scripture in Jeremiah 23 was very, very Profound, where God says, I myself will gather, Jeremiah 23 verse 3, I myself will gather, and the very next verse he says, and I will put shepherds over you to tend you. So you gather unto him, and your gathering practically is manifested around the shepherds that he has placed over you. And men gathered to David at Hebron. It says it very clearly. The gathering was unto a leader which in their view was God's sent one to them in their context. And then we looked at several other examples there. We looked at uh, principle seven, where we said the apostolic principle is a vital um, factor for the end time gathering of local households of faith. Um, Unto Judah shall the gathering of the people be. The, The prophecy is unto Judah, who is an apostolic principle. The gathering... Is always around an apostolic principle, an apostolic um, emphasis, and that is the current emphasis of the Lord, of the Lord today. And we said also in that context, the gathering is also translated as obedience. The word gathering in Genesis forty-nine, and I don't want to go through that because of time. Um, then we said, principle eight: any gathering, any authentic, accurate spiritual gathering will always activate the word of the Lord. And we proved it through many scriptures. The fact that you come together will activate God's speaking. Way beyond the preparation of the preacher. Very important to understand that. Up to this point, I think in the church we've known speakings of the Lord by virtue of, the, of how the Karuks or the preacher has plugged into God, ascended the heavens, or based on his personal private study or preparation, and he comes to speak. I think we're heading to a place where we will activate the speech of the Lord by virtue of the fact of our accurate gathering. 
right? The assembling will activate the word of the Lord. And then principle nine, we said the gathering is not to be forsaken, right? Neglect not the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And we said there to forsake literally means to leave the gathering in a helpless, depraved state by your absence, um, where the intent is you'd leave it, the Greek word, barely surviving. So the withholding of a contribution or the withholding of, of, of your input in the gathering by your presence subconsciously tantamounts to a subconscious intent, it might not be deliberate, a, a subconscious intent for that gathering not to reach its fullest potential. That's what it means to forsake the gathering of yourselves. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says it so nicely. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner. Everyone say manner. As the manner of some is. Manner, which is the Greek ethos. Even our English word ethos indicates that our gathering must almost be an habitual um, characteristic aspect of the culture of the kingdom. Frequent meeting times and coming together. Uh, there's safety in numbers. <laughs> there's safety in household. There's safety in coming together. Right? The most dangerous thing, the most dangerous position anybody could be in today is to be isolated. In your isolation, you're prone to a host of error, deception, and sin. But there's always safety in the multitude of the company of God's saints. Amen? So, hence the need to come together. I want to remind you again, as we continue speaking about the gathering principle. The context is, we're gathering to hear what? To hear the word of the Lord. And so we continue with session 13. I want to remind you of the three scriptures. I just put them there again. Genesis 49 verse 2. Um, Jacob said to his sons, gather together and hear. In Luke 5 verse 15, the first part. Um, the physician says, Luke, the doctor, he says, the crowds were gathering to what? Gathering to hear. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 10a, it says, assemble the people that they may hear. Our, it's very important we don't lose that focus. The, 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 the context of the gathering is to hear the word of the Lord. The gathering is around an apostolic emphasis or principle, it, it is not to be forsaken. Right? It's gathered, the gathering will activate speakings of the Lord way beyond the personal private preparation of the speaker. Right? When God sees a people, he will start to speak, even prophetically. Right? I really believe this. Coming together of the sons will activate speakings of the Lord. Right? And that dimension of God's voice, I believe we must still access in its in its fullness. Amen? Still access in its fullness. Okay, principle 10. At times, gatherings will have an unusual, protracted, apostolic intensity. Unusual. Now, remember we did the study of the church at Ephesus? Remember Paul met the disciples of John and others, and he taught them for two years in the school of Tyrannus, Every day, 
from 10 a.m. in the morning until 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the Amplified Bible says, for two years daily. When later he departed from the Ephesian elders, he was at Miletus, and he sent for the Ephesian elders, and he bid farewell to them. He said to them, by the space of three years, so somewhere between two and three years, maximum three, he spent with the church at Ephesus, and what did he do? He said, I have not shunned, but to declare to you what? He wants to say the whole council. The whole council or purposes of God, publicly and from house to house, warning you with deep humility and with tears, he says. So, the, the, the church at Ephesus knew, listen carefully, an apostolic intensity that other churches in other cities did not know. Um, my knowledge, if my knowledge serves me correct, Paul spent more time at Ephesus than any other church. I know he was at Corinth for a year and a half, the Corinthian problem. Or maybe that's why they have all their problems. <laughs> he was only there a year and a half. Okay, A year and a half at Corinth, and um, he was periodically at certain places for short spans of time. At Ephesus, he realizes this is a gateway this is an apostolic context. Um, the standard has to be forcefully entrenched at this city because the Bible says everyone in Asia, after his work at Ephesus was done, everyone in Asia, talk about Asia Minor, the old province, heard the word of the Lord, sounded out from that platform. So obviously, things will be intensified at, at Ephesus. If you are at Paul's church in Ephesus under Paul's ministry, right? And if you were a leader, you would, have been, you would have been meeting every day for three years, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And what you would have been hearing? Whole counsel of God. Listen carefully. To, in no other place did Paul empty himself of all his knowledge than at Ephesus. What do you teach a people for almost three years daily? And he said publicly and from house to house, with humility and with tears. Now, look at Acts 20. I am suggesting to us, at times, and I'm, I'm using the phrase deliberately at times because I don't think many people in the church are ready for this intense level of interaction with the word yet. And I think let's... Let's use the phrase at times. We're going to have to submit and baptize ourselves in extended times of, of interaction with apostolic doctrine if we are going to see change in our cities. The average person gets about 30 minutes. The average Christian in the, in the entire world gets about 30 minutes of sermonizing on a Sunday morning. That's the totality of their word exposure in one year, 30 minutes a week. And we expect the world to change. Hmm? Right? Though all those verses we listed at the end of, of uh, I think session 11 where it says, And the word of the Lord grew, and the word of the Lord multiplied, and the word of the Lord prevailed. There must be a prevalence. And I think for us, almost an obsession with word-centeredness, with word culture. Right? This book of the law shall not Depart out of your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate the in when? Day and night, that you might do according to all that is 
written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The very thing designed for success is being neglected. Hmm? God says, here's your key, but the, the attitude of the general church is so lethargic in reference to the word of the Lord. The thing designed for our success, we are ignoring. Now at Troas, listen carefully, Paul spoke the word of the Lord for literally an entire evening and the first parts of that whole morning, the following morning until dawn. Okay? There was no limit here on his meeting. If you go to Paul's meeting, he doesn't tell you what time we are concluding. Okay? And this, this is, I'm saying this in jest here. But I would love to have been here at this session. Right? A whole nighter Paul pulled with the word of the Lord. Let's read it. Acts 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. So they had breaking of bread here. Paul began talking, intending to leave the next day. So obviously you get this impression, his time with them was limited. Everyone say limited apostolic exposure. I'm saying this prophetically to us. Listen carefully. Whenever, and we're going to see this more often, there's going to be a demand placed on authentic apostolic ministry globally. And your exposure to them will not be as, as, as um, commonplace. It will not be a luxury as we've had in science. Simply because of the demand of God's mandate upon them. So Paul is at this place called Troas. He can't spend three years here like he did at Ephesus. He's not partial to one and not the other. So to maximize input, he, the Bible says he starts speaking. And he doesn't stop until the next morning. Okay? And I want to encourage us. The church needs to develop spiritual stamina in reference to your capacity to engage the word on a protracted level. Okay? Let's just read this. And he prolonged his message. I like Paul's spirit. He prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room. Everyone say many lamps. Many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Now just stop there. What do lamps indicate? What is the, the symbolic meaning of a lamp? Word. Many lamps means intensified revelation. Um, I believe the lamps were literal. There were many lights or lamps to lighten up the room. But I believe we're reading prophetically and symbolically into what the scripture is saying. There was a, an enhanced level of the brightness of revelation vested within Paul that needed to be downloaded to the, to, to the brothers here at, at Troas. Many lamps. In the upper room where we were, gathered. Underline the word gathered. We are talking about principles attendant with gathering. So many lamps. And there was a young man named Eutychus. You can write his meaning, the meaning of his name there. It means lucky. <laughs> he got the right name, this guy. Because he was truly lucky. He was sitting on a windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. It's not uncommon for people to sleep in seasons of the greatest revelations. 
But Peter slept on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember? I mean, can you sleep in a context where things are, being, are so profound? But Eutychus falls asleep. He was sitting on the ledge of a window. Right? Paul kept on talking. He ignores the guy. Okay, let the guy sleep. I'll carry on talking. I love Paul's um, ability to be unfazed by non-participation or non-engagement of his hearers. Even when people sleep in your midst, you still carry on talking. Right? Most modern day preachers will say, oh, I understand the psychological ability of the human mind. Its concentration span is only an hour. I better wrap up. Paul says, no. Here, this kingdom mandate, this, the critical things of the kingdom at stake. If you want to sleep, sleep. When Jesus found the disciples sleeping on the third time he asked them in the garden to watch and pray with him, you know what he said to them? Sleep on. Sleep on. Right? And the betrayer in the next verse, the betrayer was at hand. And I want to encourage us not to, what does sleep indicate to you? Indifferent. For me it's indifference. This is us. I can afford to sleep in this context because I'm indifferent to what is being said. Insensitivity, not understanding its profundity, its priority, or its urgency. Right? So we sleep. Okay? Now, where are we? He was overcome by sleep and he fell down from the third floor. He was, and he was picked up dead. Guy died. Paul went down, fell on him. After embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up, he broke bread and, and, and had eaten. So they broke bread again. He talked with them a long while until daybreak. And then he left. And they took away the boy alive and they were greatly, they were greatly, greatly comforted. So Paul spends a long time, literally a whole night, many lamps, intensified revelation. He's offloading light understanding to the brothers at Troas. And he's unfazed by, listen carefully, he's unfazed by seeming interruption in the meeting. Right? And I'll talk to another aspect by which he's unfazed by shortly. He never lost focus, Paul. The purpose of the gathering was the delivery of apostolic doctrine. A seeming detour hits the meeting that would cause a lot of modern day preachers to make a big hoo-ha about the fact that I've raised, just raised someone from the dead. Paul doesn't make a big deal of it. He comes back, what does he do? He gets back to the main business of the house of God, which is teaching the word of the Lord. Okay? Now, on your next page, um, Israel was in Babylonian ex exile for at least 70 years. In their time of exile, they had little or no access to the scriptures. On their return, obviously there was much work to be done. Now 70 years is a lifetime, not so. In that time, there was digression from God's ways. So the return of the exiles to Jerusalem... Yes, Nehemiah built the wall, Ezra rebuilt the temple, but something else needed to be rebuilt was the spiritual lives of the people, the installation of principles lost in 70 years. Now you must remember, 
Some of these people haven't heard the law. Some of them were born in Babylon. Hmm? Now listen carefully. Nehemiah under, uh, with Ezra calls the nation to attention. And what do they do to restore the spiritual lives of the people? They gather the people to share the word of the Lord. Let's read this account. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says, All the people gathered. Underline the word gathered. And notice how they gather. They gather as one man. No division. No disunity. No tension in relationships. There was a level beyond unity. Oneness is a level beyond Unity. They gather as one man. In the square which was in front of the water gate, water is a symbolic indication of the word of the Lord. Not so? They asked Ezra, the scribe, please write there, Ezra 7.10, and look at how this guy prepared. Ezra studied the law, remember? Prepared his heart to study, to do and to teach the law. So he was well ready, well studied. So he's called. To bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of, of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Circle or underline seventh month because seventh, what, what, what season, what should they have been celebrating? What feast? Tabernacles. Remember 137, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And so this is the seventh month. And they haven't celebrated tabernacles now for what? 70 years. So this, this thing needs to be restored. Listen carefully. He read it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early in the morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, like a pulpit. And beside him stood 13 other gentlemen. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for you were standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Standing up means they were attentive. And also they had huge honor and respect for the speaking of the, of the Lord. Ezra blessed the Lord and great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. I think we need to hear more Amens in apostolic circles. Amen. When the word of the Lord is sounded. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed low, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, and some of the individuals mentioned there, Explain the law. Underline, they explained the law to the people. While the people remained in their place. And they read the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense, so that they understood the, the reading. So there was the reading and the explanation of what was read to the people that did not hear the word for at least 70 years, some of them, right? And this took place from the morning until midday. Some versions actually say for a quarter of a day. A day is 24 hours. A quarter of 24 is six hours of word engagement. In a season of reformation and restoration of things lost 
historically. Now, aren't we living in that season? I just think God wants to restore so much to the body of Christ. But he needs a, an, an increased capacity of his people to engage more word to receive what he still wants to restore to us. If we do not position together, there can be no restoration. The nation gathered in front of the water square, the water gate, sorry, right? In front of the square. And a sent one. So you have the sent dynamic Ezra, together with 13 other individuals, makes them 14 scribes. They stand with him speaking and they all give help to assist, to give explanation to what is read. Right? And the Bible says, and the people respond, so be it. So be it. That's what amen means. When you say amen, it's like pressing like on Facebook. That's amen. Oh, you know, when you say like, you say amen. Right? So you're saying, yes, that's right. The people are concurring. Yes, Ezra, exactly. Right? Amen. Double. Amen. And the Bible says the people bowed low and they worshipped the Lord. Worship was always informed by word. Word content will automatically raise worship content. Hmm? Worship in spirit and in truth. Not so? So I believe, listen brethren, I believe where days are coming where we will have extended times of teaching. Extended times of word engagement. I want to encourage this house, increase your capacity for the word of God. Because it's going to come like a flood. God wants to say, let me dare say this. God wants to say much more than he's presently saying. I'm going to say it again, very important for you to catch this in your spirit. God wants to communicate far more and far more profound things than what he is presently doing. His, his, his problem is there's, the, there's not a capacity to receive. You know when you download programs onto your system, you better make system, you better make sure that your system has got the capacity to receive the thing that you are downloading. Or else that which you download can cause your system to, to crash. When you buy software programs, check the specs out at the back of the box. They tell you this can be used with at least, the, they call it minimum requirements. Right? And I think God is saying the heavenly download um, is so much, but the, 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 the hard drive or the heart drive of my people needs upgrade. And I, w- I want to encourage you, develop spiritual stamina. Develop stain power in reference to your capacity to engage the word. I will never forget my first apostolic school of ministry like many of you. Right? What was your first experience? Uh, mine was in 2002 at Trizen Towers. Now I was preaching, there was about 30 of us in the school. The first day I had a headache. First day. First day. Head busting. Why? I was unaccustomed to this level of download. It came profound, it came fast, it came furious, it came in an intense form. 
But yet my, my spirit was saying yes. And what was happening, God was increasing the capacity of my mind progressively through time. Now I go regularly because I've been going year after year, at least twice a year, every year. What has happened? By reason of use, by reason of consistent engagement, your stamina levels increase. Not so? When I ran the comrades the first time, um, I was never a long distance runner. I would run at school 100 meters, 200, 400. Teacher at school got me interested in, in fun runs. We used to run the 5 and 10 k's here on the beachfront. That went on for about two years. He then uh, 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 talked me into running a half marathon, 21.1 k's. We did it, feeling quite okay. He says, I think you're ready for a marathon, 42.2 k's. It was twice the half marathon, right? We did that. But you know what? As the requirement became more and more, my training stepped up and I found I could do this thing. Why? Through the regularity of, the discipline of, and the rigor of training. My stamina, my endurance, my cardiovascular fitness level suddenly went up, right? I mean, I was even boasting at one time. I ran the, after the 42.2, I ran the Chatsworth 56. That's now ultra marathon. Once you go beyond marathon level, you got your eyes on ultra marathons. Anything beyond 42Ks is an ultra. Obviously, the ultimate ultra is comrades. 89.9Ks. The 89 is not the problem. It's that point nine that really gets to you. <laughs> okay. Like 90Ks, rounded off, right? And you know what? After that 42, and you know, guys that are still battling with half marathons, 21.1, they would come, hey, I struggle. I said, what are you struggling with what? 21. Oh, that's a fun run for me now, man. 21 is like a fun run. Why? A thing became easier by virtue of increased capacity, increased endurance. And I want to encourage you, increase your endurance in word engagement. Right? Practice this privately in terms of extending your own times of personal reading and personal study in the word of the Lord. Have stamina and stain power with the word of the Lord. Amen? Because God wants to release much, much more profound things to us than what we are presently receiving. I really believe this. Now, the primary focus of gatherings must be the, the word of the Lord. That's the next principle. Principle three. In the account we just read where Eutychus fell, he died, Paul went, led on him, raised him from the dead and brought him back up. Paul was not lured or seduced into focusing on the manifestation. I mean, wouldn't you feel good? I mean, I raised someone from the dead. Wouldn't you make a big hoo about it? Paul did not allow the miracle to sidetrack him from the main agenda, which was the word. It, it almost seems Paul didn't even lose his stride in things. He just kept stride, kept focus, that he turned to the upper room, he broke bread again, and he, Bible says, talked until morning. Okay? It was, if it was you and I today, we would have been all over Facebook, this guy, Eutychus, was raised under my ministry from the dead. Right? And listen carefully. 
the wrong thing would have been emphasized. Paul's focus was, I need to impart principles that are going to change lives. Right? And we must be very wary and careful where there's an obsession with, listen carefully, an obsession with manifestation to the total neglect of word impartation. I'm not against, we must um, heal the sick, drive out demons. Manifestations are part of kingdom culture. Signs and wonders are part of the kingdom culture. I'm going to talk about that soon in the series. I call it word and power. We are declarators of the word. We are also administrators of the spirit. We can work both realms. But we're seeing a tendency today where there's an obsession with the moves of the spirits, manifestations, signs and wonders to the total neglect of impartation of principles from from the word of the Lord. Okay? And that balance must always be maintained. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. But the ultimate purpose is the declaration of principles that communicate the ways, the will, the nature of God. Now look at a similar pattern in Jesus' ministry. In Mark 2, remember the paralytic was healed? The guy there broke the roof, the tiles off the roof and they let the guy down, right? Mark 2 verse 1, it says, When he came back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And what was he doing at the gathering? Come on, say it. He was speaking the word at a gathering. Many were gathered and he was speaking the word to them. And you know the story. Okay, the guy is raised from his paralysis. Raised from the dead. His sins are forgiven and he's raised. Right? Great miracle. Not so. Jesus similarly, look at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowds were coming to him. And he was what? And he simply carried on teaching, right? He, he was not distracted by making the, the miracle um, monumental, building a monument around the miraculous, because that could be a huge distraction. So he was unfazed, and he just continued in stride, and he continued teaching the word of the Lord. Now let me just say this. I need to say this also. I don't have it in my notes. But look at Luke 5.17. That's Mark 2. Luke records the same incident as Mark 2, the paralytic. But Luke adds in this, listen carefully. On those days, as he was doing what? As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who came from every village, from Judea and Jerusalem, and what? And the power of the Lord was present to do what? The power of the Lord was present to heal. Notice the context. The power of the Lord was present to heal as he was teaching. Right? So there was this um, uh, uh, capacity or um, possibility, if you would, created within that gathering for profound healing to take place. And a healing did take place. A paralytic was healed of his paralysis. But the context in which that took place was a context in which the word of God and the teaching thereof was prioritized. 
authentic. And I want to say authentic. Because even right now in, in, in our country, this very moment, there are spurious false signs and wonders taking place. A move so-called of the spirit, not based on word power. Right? For me, it's based on soul power and other things. Right? But I want to encourage the church, be wise and be discerning. One way you can attest to an authentic move of the Spirit's power for healing, for prophecy, signs, wonders, or whichever. One of the acid tests is, is that power generated or built upon a focus on the Word of God? Wherever you have Word, you will have also power. Signs and wonders follow the Word. In the order of things, it's Word, signs and wonders, following. Okay? So we must always maintain this, um, this balance. But please don't leave here and say we're against signs and wonders. No. We love miracles. We love seeing God uh, doing, doing wonderful things, doing great things. Um, but it must be authentic. Right? You know what the Bible says? In the last days, Satan will use lying signs and wonders. Right? Signs and wonders in and of themselves. Is that an acid test for truth? You need the Word of God to test all things. Okay? The Word of God must test all things. Now, principle 12. Principle number 12. The need for leaders to gather in times of restoration of strategic doctrine or strategic spiritual activity or emphases. Now, do you remember in, in, in Nehemiah 8, we just read, the whole nation gathers at the water gate in front of the square and under Nehemiah's scribal anointing, the word is read and there was sense or explanation given to the scriptures. People respond, Amen, Amen. They bow and they worship the Lord. Not so? That wasn't on a particular day. On the very next day, check out what happens. Verse 13. On the second day, who gathers? Heads of fathers, households. All the people and the priests and the Levites gathered to who? So they're gathering to God, but they're gathering around God's representative in their midst, right? They gather to Ezra. The next day, heads of fathers' households. These are, now households in our context would be local churches, right? They gather. That's why it's so important for us as pastors we regularly gather to our spiritual father to receive instruction. That process is vitally important. Right? And just check this out. I like this. They found. You should write this. It means they were looking. Okay. They found, written in the book with the law, how the Lord commanded Moses, through Moses, that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. What month were they in? They were in the seventh month. I love what God does here. God shows them according to their context or the time in which they live, the emphasis that should be prioritized. The seventh month they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And part of the activity in the Feast of Tabernacles, the people had to live in booths, right? To, for I think it was for seven days so to celebrate this, this feast of, of maturity, the feast of perfection, 
the Feast of the Tabernacles. So they are in the seventh month, and they found Moses instructed the nation to celebrate this. And I like what it says. They proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all the cities. In Jerusalem, say, God into the hills. Bring olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees, and make booths as it is written. The people obeyed. So the people went out and they brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, in their courts, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the square at the water gate, in the square at the gate of Ephraim, doubly fruitful. The entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and they lived in them. The sons of Israel in had indeed not done so, listen carefully. This was not done since Joshua's time. From the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, and there was great rejoicing. Can you picture the scene here? Everyone is not in their houses. They're either on their roofs of their houses, all in these like tents made from these olive branches and myrtle branches, etc. They lived in these constructed little booths. The whole nation, it must have been a sight to see. Eh? And they say, hey, we've neglected an important part of our heritage spiritually. An activity lost, an emphasis lost, a doctrine lost. That now must, must be restored. But how was the restoration done? Heads of houses gathered, gained insight at a very profound level as to what should be done. They circulated a proclamation throughout all the cities. The, the insight that they got, they upgraded the whole nation into. Right? It's, with, it's the way God works. God will always speak on strategic issues to leaders first. And that will, will trickle down to the masses as an effective means of upgrading people is, is put in, in place. Amen. You will see this also in, in Exodus 3 verse 16. Um, the Lord says to Israel, He was about to deliver them. Go, gather. This is to Moses. Go, gather all the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Right? For strategic things, God doesn't tell everyone in Egypt his plans. He tells Moses first. Moses then must call for leaders of the community and he informs them. But listen carefully. We have to create a system by which strategic information from the heavens can trickle down to everyone. If you neglect a gathering process, you are gonna, you're going to abort and create a wedge in divine transmission. We started a dialogue now on Wednesday under Thamo's instruction. All of Thamo's sons in, in this city. It was one of the most blessed meetings I was, I was at. And we're going to do it every Wednesday morning. We, the guys agreed to meet every single Wednesday morning. We're meeting in Queensborough at the moment at Percy's Church. Um, I was asked just to lead the first few. But it's not like a teaching, it's, it's dialogue. We sit at a table, all pastors, and we discuss issues. 
And guess what I saw there in our report at Tama about how the first meeting went. Literally every single pastor at the gathering said, this meeting was so spontaneously prophetic, is the, is the word. Spontaneously prophetic. I saw this thing work, how when brothers gather, our gathering activates speaking. God begins to doubt. Why? There's things that God wants to release, but we are not creating context to receive it. That is why I want to encourage you, the gathering even of this local house must go to the next level because we will abort much that God wants to, to download. And guess what? I think while we are talking about God's strategic emphasis, doctrine or spiritual activity will first be released to leaders and then to others. I believe our house as one man collectively is a leading house within the broad scheme of things. Right? Do you understand what I'm, the principle? Right? Hence, there is much expected to this leading house to receive much. If you think your receptive capacity has reached fullness, I want to encourage you. You've just started. God wants to download much more than you are receiving. I read some passages in the Bible and I say, God, I can't know what on earth you're trying to communicate here. Some parts of the Bible are just difficult, not so. I say, God, increase my understanding. Show me. Um, pray, constantly pray the prayer of David. Open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your, in your law. And you know what I've dis- I'm discovering now? Part of a valuable key to access further things from God is simply the principle of gathering. You position yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Go pray on some mountain for 40 days. You'll get much more by gathering with brothers. I'm telling you, you'll get much more. But that has a place. I'm not discounting that. We must all search God. But there's, there's something about coming together and God releases. You know why? The, the release now is not going to be one man where he gets a big head and he becomes the man of God for the hour of God in the day of the Lord. You see some of these posters. Okay? At the meeting we had on Wednesday, you know what? No one person could have taken claim for what happened there. It was a corporate download because brothers sat together at a, at a table. Amen? So I want to encourage us. We're entering this, this realm. On page 7, listen carefully, what God said to Moses. You know the story. Moses was the singular leader. He was wearing himself out through constant counseling every day. Right? God said to him, choose 70 men. Let them lead with you. You and 70 others. But in verse 16, notice the, the command given to Moses. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather. Everyone say gather. So gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders. People you know, Moses, of the people. And the officers bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand with you. Moses plus 70 others stand at the tent of meeting. 
Now look what God says. I will come down and speak with you there. I will take the spirit which is on you and I will put it on them that they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone. Page 5. What did I say? 7. Oh, sorry. Sorry, page 5. Okay? So that you do not bear it alone. Now, listen to the methodology of God here. God says, I want to increase your representation in the nation. Right now, there's hundreds of thousands of people. You're wearing yourself with counseling. You're going to die before your time. Share the burden of leadership with 70 others. But, don't just select people willy-nilly. Elders, in other words, senior men, Zaken is the Hebrew here. That means people with wisdom, wise, literally aged or mature, literally leaders in the community that you know to be elders. You choose their Moses. So the prerogative is yours to choose. I leave that to you. You decide. So guess what? 70. Okay, you got the 70 guys. And this is the order of God. Gather them together. Listen carefully. Bring them to the tent of meeting. And notice the order of things. God says to them, I will talk to you, Moses. Not to them. I will talk to you. In the process of my discussion with you, I take the spirit that's on you and give it to them. How, is, how are other leaders, how will other leaders receive the anointing of the set man? You have to be privy to a process of God speaking to your leader. The con- listen, I'm going to say it again. Please catch this. The methodology by which the spirit on Moses is taken from him and transferred to others, God says, bring them to the place where I meet you, the tent of meeting. Let them stand where you used to standing. Let them stand with you there. I will talk to you in the process of my communication with you, I take the spirit from you and transfer it to them. Right? So, listen carefully. But the prerequisite is, gather them together with you. Right? Do you know, listen carefully, um, I am speaking to you what God has communicated to me. Right now, you are exposed to information, revelation, communication that the Lord and I have had. And revelation exposed to me. If you under the sound of this voice, in this context of gathering, you have positioned yourself for the possibility of my spirit being transferred to you. It's as you are privy to that process, do you get the leader's spirit. And even the act of teaching or preaching is some manifestation of a process of communication the preacher has had with the Lord. And those that gather, listen to that, and you discern how your Father in the Lord has engaged God in the heavens, you get the same frequency. This is representative leadership. They represent Moses as they lead and and see to some of the issues in Israel. But they don't lead with their own mindset or spirit. They have Moses' spirit 
as they represent him in leadership. Right? But what is the prerequisite? Everyone say they gathered together. Right? Choose 70 men. Let them gather with you there. Amen? I would look for any excuse to be under the sound of my father's voice in the law. Why? So know the principle. It's not just about hearing new revelation or learning. All that's part of the process. I know that as I position myself under his speaking, I am seeing how, he's, how God has communicated with him and I'm positioning myself for the reception of his same spirit. Hmm? Now you've got 70 Moseses in Israel. Before there was one, now there are 70 guys functioning on the same level as he does. Hmm? Don't we need more and more of this? Amen. Think about it like this. Every time you gather, you, you've just created the opportunity for equalization. They were almost not, well, equal with Moses. These guys stood on the same, they stood where he stands. They're standing on the same platform as him. He's still the leader that he spec protocol and rank, but they're operating with the same frequency. Remember Eldad and Mildad? (laughs) Two of the 70 stayed, and they prophesied until, without stopping. And Joshua, after this read it, was jealous for Moses, and he said, hey, these two of the 70 have never left the tent of meeting, yet they're still there, and they prophesy. What did Moses say to Joshua? Are you envious for my sake? Moses is telling him, my position is not being dead, don't worry. <laughs> and Moses said this to him, I wish that not only they, but all Israel were prophets unto the Lord. Check the heart of the leader. He was wanting to upgrade the entirety, but the prerequisite to upgrade was gather to hear, gather to see, and in that process, you will have the same impartation. Amen? Tell your neighbor, be equalized. Be equalized. Not be pulverized, be equalized. Huh? Have the same frequency. Let me just say this to you. You're going to find yourself in some context speaking. And you find yourself speaking on another frequency. By virtue of your exposure to word, you operate at that same level and you and you speak amen now the next principle principle 13 we're gonna have a break we'll just we'll just go until half past eight and we'll dismiss the next principle i've put some other scriptures down for your personal inquiry all speak to the same thing i just didn't want to make this note exhaustive it'll be too long also we need to save paper for the whole copy okay but principle 13 gathering facilitates the rapid transmission an equalization of apostolic of apostolic doctrine. Now, recall the incident in Acts 15. In Acts 15, the Bible says there arose a problem. The problem was simple. A lot of Gentiles were being saved, and there was the insistence by some uh, Jews that the Gentiles ought to be circumcised. This problem threatened the unity and oneness of the early church. It posed a significant threat. It was the first major obstacle the early church had to deal with after the problem with the Grecian uh, widows and the Jewish widows in Acts 7, where they chose seven deacons to... uh, A a management administrative problem that was, was easily dealt with. Acts 15, 
It's a different kind of problem. It was a doctrinal problem. Right? It wasn't a structural management issue. This was a different problem that warranted a different uh, approach. The approach was simple. How did they solve this? The Bible says, apostles, elders, and brethren. Apostles, fivefold. Elders, heads of houses, leaders of church or households of faith. And a few brothers met at Jerusalem. The Bible says, for two, consider the matter. Uh, people regard this as the first apostolic council ever. Right? And we, I'm longing for the day to see this. There is a subtle move of foot back to this. Where there's, there's, a, there's an issue of belief. And you know, belief informs behavior. Right? An issue of belief that could threaten and divide the church. So, who better than for authentic apostles to clarify the matter and issue a decree to all the churches? Not so? So the guys met. So, Peter stood up and gave his account of his ministry with the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas stood up, gave the account of their work amongst Gentiles. The presiding apostle, which seemed to be the leader and the convener of the meeting, James, then stood up and what does he say? Heard Peter, heard Paul. And he says, to this, agree all the words of the prophets. And he quotes Amos' prophecy. In the last day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, restore its ruins, so that the remnant, um, the Gentile nations, might seek the Lord. And he says, therefore, I pass my decree in this matter. Let us therefore not burden our brethren anymore concerning this. And they, they, they decided that physical circumcision was not a requirement for salvation. As some Jews were insisting that the newly Gentile believers be circumcised. So what do they do? Look at the next page. What do they do? They write letters of decrees. They write their decision on, on paper. And the Bible says in verse 30, they sent Paul and Barnabas, by the way, with these out to all the churches in the region. And when they were sent, they went down to Antioch. And having what? It was they gathered the congregation. They gathered the congregation and they delivered the letter. I like the early church in this because there was a system by which key apostolic or contentious positions of belief or doctrine were easily sorted out. Part of the ease of this was the quickness with which a congregation assembled. Right? Now today people need four weeks notice. <laughs> yeah, there was like a system of convening a meeting with the greatest of ease, especially within a climate of contentious doctrine that had the potential of dividing the church. Right? So Paul and Barnabas went, they come to Antioch, obviously Antioch's in their heart because these guys spent a whole year there, these two, Paul and Barnabas. Right? So they're vested interest here. They come down there and the Bible says, with ease, congregate. I like even the word congregate, congregation, come together. They gathered and an apostolic decree was delivered. Issue sorted, belief sorted, no more discussion at the next lunch table about this issue. Apostles ratified in sorted the issue out. Look at also um, when, when Paul and Barnabas first went out. Remember in Acts 13 they were commissioned? And they minister, Acts 13, Acts 14. 
And in Acts 14 verse 27, the Bible says, When they arrived, they had gathered the church together. And they began reporting the things that God has done with them. I like that. Right? And they opened a the door of faith to the Gentiles. People were upgraded almost with, with speed. Okay? I wrote a side note in your note. Obviously today, we have modern systems of communication where we could easily and speedily distribute important information. These systems must be used as well, but they cannot be used as an excuse for not physically meeting together. We will use emails, websites, whatever we can to disseminate key apostolic doctrine. But there's something profound in the act of declaring it to an assembled company. Amen? Something profound. Because grace is imparted through the utterance of the word of the Lord. Amen? Principle 14. Listen carefully. I love this. When I first saw it, God really challenged my own heart in reference to this. Look at the, at the verse. Nehemiah. Let me just give you the context. Look up here quickly before you read. Nehemiah is building the wall. There is significant enemy attack. When you read the book of Nehemiah, we did this, I think, two or three years ago. You see how that the enemy um, attack intensifies. Literally in one chapter, the enemy assault grows. See, with wisdom, he has to manage this. In his wisdom, what he does, he groups households in families on certain segments of the wall. This is the wall around the whole city. So he's to make sure every part of it is guarded. So obviously, some parts will be weaker than others by virtue of not, you haven't got the same skill of personnel along the entire perimeter of the wall. Okay? You've got your best soldiers at strategic parts, but he decides, and I like the wisdom, group them by families, put them, and they build with the sword and a trowel. You know the principle, right? Build and fight. Right? But he makes this decree. He realizes, what if on one part of the wall, there's this concerted attack of the enemy to infiltrate? Because once they're inside the city, we're finished. Right? So he makes this decree, Nehemiah 4 verse 19. I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated on the wall from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally there and our God will fight for us. Right? So let's say if Mark was on that side and he was a few meters away and there was attack. What, what Nehemiah had a plan, he said, if that ever happens, you will hear the sound of a trumpet in a certain place. The moment you hear the sound of the trumpet, everyone rally there and by virtue of your rallying, God fights. God fights because you've, you've covered the gap. You've covered the weakness. Right? In the place that you are most vulnerable, the enemy will always attack. And I like this. You know what a trumpet means? A trumpet was a prophetic uh, signal. Right? An urgent signal. It was prophetic in, in nature. Right? And, I, and I like the quickness and the speed with which this happens. Now let me just say this. How do you apply this to the modern day church? We can apply this locally here. Right? We must all rally because, let me just say this, we are all at different parts of the wall, so to speak. And usually the enemy will attack the most vulnerable and weakest points. Not so? 
right? And where, where there are needs in the local house, we should all rally to alleviate that need. Not so? And that's an aspect we must talk to soon, right? The X model, right? Where they all things in, in common. Not one was needy amongst them. Also, you could apply this, and I wrote a brief introduction there, how the church is arranged by tribal affiliation, right? We, for example, here in the city of Durban, there are about four or five other pastors, part of the same household that relate to our spiritual father. And we met for the first time on. Already, listen carefully, already at that meeting, we discerned a few needs in certain households. We put plans into effect with almost immediate um, immediacy to address those needs. So where one house is strong in a particular grace, guess what? It can fill the, the lack of grace in a particular area in another household. Not so? And so we have all things in, all things in, in common. But also, within a city, right? We are not so territorial in spiritual families that we don't cross-pollinate with other networks or families or clans in the spirit. Whose son was John Mark? Who was his spiritual father? John Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Peter. Peter says it in his Gospel. <laughs> in his letter, Peter says, Mark my son. Go read it. Find out. Right? Mark my son. But what does Paul say to John? About John. To Timothy. When Paul was in prison. Who does he call for? He says, when you come, Timothy, do your best to come before the winter. When you come, bring the parchments, bring the cloak. I left with carpus at Troas. And bring who? Bring John Mark. Why? He is profitable to who? I know he's Peter's son. But he's profitable also to me. Peter can't turn around and say, no, 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 no. He's my son in the Lord. The apostles had this understanding. They were not territorial over sonship. Right? A son in a particular father's house could be of benefit to another apostle in another sphere or network. Right? So there was this cross-pollination. Right? There was this ease of, of, of cross-pollinating. So I really want to encourage you, when the trumpet is sounded in Dr. Segi's camp, a need, we don't say we are related to this apostle, we have nothing to do there. We rally there, why? We have an understanding of the corporate nature of the body of Christ. Not so? So this could be applied on a micro level, it could be applied on a, on a, on a macro level. Even in other nations, there's a need in Kenya, there's a need in the Congo, Sound of a trumpet is sounded. Guess what? We can gather with the greatest of ease. Cost and sacrifice is not an issue. If there's a trumpet sounded, we rally there. And because of our rallying, God fights. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Hear the sound. Tell you, hear the sound. No matter what part of the wall you are on, hear the sound. I like this. You know what? God is opening our eyes to the power in gathering. God only fights if there's rallying. God only fights if there's rallying.
okay, we'll do one or two more. We may not finish this. I'm always a bad estimator at how much material we will cover. It always seems to, that's one gift I'm trusting God for. Right? It never ever works out. Page 7. Principle 15. Listen carefully. Gathering creates a sound in the spirit, signaling entry into a new divine phase. This really blessed me. I like this verse. Look at Micah 2 verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in the midst of its pasture. And I like this. They will be noisy with men. (laughs) Think about, now, what is the context here? Everyone say sheep. Think about lots of sheep in a pen, a fold. And their hooves, and their noise, and the sound is emitted, right? But what is the prerequisite? Verse 12 says, I will who? I will gather or I will assemble. Jacob, I'm going to assemble you. I will gather the remnant. It's just going to be like a a whole lot of sheep. 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 (laughs) One sheep, many sheep. Okay. A whole lot of sheep in a fold, noisy with, noisy with men. The principle of gathering here, as I've said it, the gathering creates a sound in the spirit, signifying entry into some brand new phase of God's dealings. Now the principle of sound is this. Whenever you hear noise in the scripture or sound, it always signifies the start of something new. In the day of Pentecost, there was the sound of a rushing wind, right? So sound from heaven. Listen carefully. Now, notice the two parts, the two points I made in your notes, point one and two. Note carefully. Two things which are prerequisite to this. There was an assembling or a gathering. And secondly, this flock is in the midst of pasture. Not so? It is like a flock in the midst of its pasture. In this fold, there is pasture. And they are noisy with men. What does pasture indicate? Nourishment from the word of the Lord. What did David say? We are his sheep, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Sheep are indication of the kind of pasture they feed off. Right? A people are always indicative of the kind of word they receive. The context of the sound emitted from a gathering of sheep is one in which they are pastured. They are well fed by the word of the by the word of the Lord. And they emit somewhat of an inaudible sound to the natural ear, but a sound is created in the spirit by virtue of their of the gathering. Remember those two lepers who walked into the city? Right? And they said, if we stay here, we die. If we go there to the enemy, we die. Let someone go, maybe we'll come right. right. And as they walked, the sound of the steps of two men, what did God do? In the spirit? He made it sound to the enemy as though a massive army is attacking them and they vacated the city. These two guys came, they say, hey, no one's here. Look at all the spoil. They thought they hit heaven, right? 
so this, this sound is a wonderful study in the scripture. There's always an inaudible sound to the natural ear, but there's audible in the spirit. And I just think our gathering creates somewhat of a sound in the, in the spirit, which I believe will activate and signal a brand new era of God's doings among us. Okay? In, in the book of Acts, 120 were in the upper room. Sufficiently representative number, an apostolic number. 120, a multiple of factor of 12. And it's, they gathered and the Bible, I, I believe why they heard the external sound. They heard the sound from heaven. was because heaven heard the sound of their oneness, the sound of their unity. And released another sound from heaven. And so something brand new was activated in the uh, new season. Is always activated by a a new a new sound. Amen. A new season is always activated by a a new sound. Amen. Are you ready for this new sound? I think we're going to stop here because of time. Uh, if I start to explain, maybe let's just go on one or two. Okay, we have ten minutes. This is the next one. The gathering must have a purity of. A purity of, of motive. Gathering must be accurate, Holy Spirit induced, built on pure motives. Otherwise God himself will instigate a scattering process that divides them. He will do so by confusing their languages. So that they cannot, as the scripture says, speak the same things. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul speaks about oneness and unity. And he says, in oneness and unity you will speak the same you will speak the same things. At the Tower of Babel, God confused languages. Why? They, they were united around the wrong endeavor. God said they will surely reach their goal. So to, to disunite the group, God confuses their languages so that they can't understand one another. Whenever people do not speak the same thing, they are, disu, they are disunited. They gathered at Babel unto a wrong purpose, impure motives, that's why I stress our gatherings must be honorable, pure in their, in, their, in their motivation. Just for the sake of time, let's go to the next one quickly. I'm not going to talk much about the next few because they don't specifically relate to the hearing of the word attended with gatherings, but I put them in just to give you a more complete understanding of the power of gathering. Principle 17, gathering enhances what? Corporate prayer power, not so? Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark. Many were gathered together and praying. Gathered together and praying. There's something powerful about a corporate gathering prayer process. Principle 18. Gathering as one, a standard by which God will judge. Isaiah 11, 12 says, he will lift up a standard for the nations and he will assemble the banished ones of Israel. He will gather the dispersed of Judah from the, the four corners of the earth. Now God will, you must read the context here, the, the, the following verses. God will assemble his people as one, as a standard by which to judge others. God always needs a standard before judgment is meted out. It's only from the context of oneness 
um, of the house of God that nations will be will be judged. Okay, so it's part of an end time process. Our gatherings, even physically, naturally, are parts of a wonderful end time process of judgment that God will bring to the nations. Principle nineteen: gathering removes reproach. Another a synonym for reproach is to be ashamed. It removes the sense of shame, the sense of embarrassment, if you would. Right? I will gather those, Zephaniah 3.18, I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They will come from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Right? Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. Gather the outcasts. I will turn their shame they approach into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. Even at the time, I will gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise. So God can give you honor, renown and praise where there was the shame of the reproach of being exiled. So I'll bring you together, I'll gather you and I, I take the stigma of being an exile away from the nation. I'll make you a point of praise and renown in the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, declares the Lord. Amen. There's something profound. Do you know, by the way, that the Hebrew for gathering is Asif? Oh, by the way, one of David's chief musicians was Asif. He wrote many of the Psalms. A Psalm of Asif. Asif means one who gathers and removes reproach. Literally. Check this out in Strong's, in Zodiac's, or in Stalman Smith's dictionary of exhaustive, the exhaustive dictionary of, of biblical proper names. Chick, pull up Asif. I'm quoting to you verbatim. Asif means one who gathers together and removes reproach. Whenever there's a gathering, there's great potential to remove any kind of deficiency attended with people in that gathering. The shame, the reproach, whatever you've suffered personally and privately will be solved within the context of the family of God, the gathering. Okay? So it's, it's, a, it's a powerful place, if you would, of the removal of shame and the restoration of honor, renown, and, and praise. You should be the more richer because you've come. You should not be the poorer. How many of, you, how many of your lives are enriched by the gathering process? Right? You're far more better off. Your understanding and your... Your outlook, your, your revelation, the way in which you're pursuing God's purposes, this is the kind of person you are, etc. You know what the Bible says? Iron sharpens iron. So there's a man sharpen the face. Face is character. The face of his friend. Right? Sometimes it's friction. Iron sharpens iron. Sparks are flying. But what is the intent? sharpening you, sharpening your nature, sharpening your character. You're the far better person. Amen? Okay, next one. Maybe we can finish this. Yeah, I'll finish it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Got to encourage yourself in the Lord with these things. Right. Principle 20. Listen carefully. God gathers many to the remnant already gathered. I want to encourage you with this. Right? Isaiah 56 Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others will I gather to them, to those already gathered. 
Listen carefully. Those already gathered activate the gathering of others to that gathering. God says, I call others to those already gathered. And talks about the remnant principle. There's a few gathered and God says, their faithfulness in their gathering will, will recruit others toward them. Right? Um, I, I want to encourage you. Um, they always say a crowd pulls a crowd. Hmm? Even in, to encourage this house, in our smallness of faithful meeting together on a consistent basis, I hear the prophetic word of the Lord saying, don't give up. I will call others to gather around those already gathered. God has got to work with a remnant few. A sufficiently representative group. Remnant, listen carefully, the principle of the remnant is that God always deals with a nucleus, with a few. Right? And He will accord to the masses what the few attain. Okay? That's the principle of representation. Or the principle of the representative remnant. Okay? It's important that we consistently gather and access all the benefits of gathering. Because when the 11th hour workers come in, the rest, they will be upgraded immediately into everything we've built up over a period of time. Right? And I was just reminded tonight of how David's men, who did not go to war, remember when they got the spoil? Some of the guys who did go to the war said they mustn't get the spoil. And David issued a decree, hey, hold it. You fought, you, you paid the price, you won the war. But whenever a spoil is gotten from war, even those who did not go fight with you get equal benefit. This, this principle is a, vi- is a vital one. Right? So I want to encourage you, God's going to gather others to those already, already gathered. It's the remnant principle. And look at Micah 5 verse 7 on the next page. Okay, we've got just two more pages and we'll be done. Micah 5, 7. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many people like the dew from the Lord. The remnant is always like the dew. Tell you never the remnant's like the dew. Now please catch this, don't miss this. The remnant is that core that God will call out to manifest maturity, to manifest His purpose, His nature, His character at a profound level by virtue of their consistent gathering and others will gather to them. This verse says that remnant is like dew. Hmm? You know, dew just manifests that. You wake up in the morning, where does this come from? You know? It usually happens in the nighttime also. Okay. When people are, most people are asleep and most people are unaware, most people are indifferent, most, there's a lack of vigilance, etc. Right? The dew manifests. The remnant are like the dew, like showers on vegetation, are like this, which do not wait for man, nor delay. For the sons of men. Tell your neighbor, I am not waiting for you to get your act together first. <laughs> do you know what I was almost tempted to do? I was almost tempted to defer this forum. Maybe to next year. Let's cancel Friday. Everyone have time out. And I thought, why must I first wait for people to be committed for me to deliver profound revelation? The Lord had to chide me. God said, No. This doesn't wait for the permission of man. 
It doesn't, this does not delay for the delay of men. You start the process, you configure the remnant, and God will gather others to those already gathered. Right? So I want to encourage you, tell your neighbor, you do you. <laughs> okay? You call each other due. The remnant are like the dew, right? You pitch up when everyone else is sleeping because dew normally manifests in the nighttime when temperatures are low, not so. Right? And now listen carefully to this wonderful passage. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 2, it says, Let my teaching drop like rain, and let my speech distill as dew. As the droplets upon the fresh grass and like showers on the herb. Two levels, two different levels of intensity. The word for doctrine here, or teaching, is lekak, I think. And it literally means something received, instruction. So God says, my teaching or my doctrine is like rain. And my speech is like dew. And dew here in the, in the Hebrew is imra, which means commandment or, or voice. So there's doctrine, literal instruction, and there's almost like the rhema voice speaking of the Lord. And I like what the Bible, how you put all of this together. God says, my remnant who meet and gather regularly are like the dew. But my teaching also is like the dew. The purpose of our meeting is to access, sorry, my speech is like the dew, is to access the, the speaking or the voice of the Lord in our, in our context. Right? So every time we meet together, we activate the speech of the Lord. This dew, this remnant, when you come together, you activate the speech of the Lord. Okay? Let's go to the last one just because of time. You can read the other parts. I think we've made the point sufficiently enough. Let's look at the last one. The principle uh, gathering in its many forms is a prophetic certainty. Everyone say this, these things will happen. I want to encourage you, this is not pie in the sky, in the sweet by and by. This is not abstract. I'm certain that I'm speaking prophetically and that we're going to see a reality of these things play themselves out. Amen. Lovely verse here in, in Isaiah 43, verse 5. Do not fear, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. I will say to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even those who I have made. Bring out my people who are blind, and though they have eyes, and deaf, though they have ears, all nations have gathered together so that the peoples might be assembled. Now, this is a very, very prophetic, prophetic scripture. Let me not read the technicalities of the Hebrew here. Just listen to the, the spirit of it. God is saying to a, a prophetic declaration is meted out, given out to all of the earth. Give up, my sons. Now, if you are to give up sons, it means the sons are being held 
captive. So God says, release. Everyone say release. God says, release, release, release. North, south, east, west. Give up my sons because you are holding captive those they have eyes but they cannot see. You're holding captive those they have ears but they cannot hear. Right? Inaccurate religion always caps the potential of God's people. And though you have structure, you have the ears, you have the facilities to access sight and hearing, yet they are untapped, they're left dormant. Right? So God is issuing a decree to every inaccurate religious system. He's saying, give up my sons, because I want them to come together to be assembled. Together to be assembled. Right? So the scripture, I wrote, look at the last paragraph, this scripture alludes to the exodus of people from inaccurate places of religion that bind and imprison God's purposes and potential in them. Right? And I put in an instruction here. Take a moment to pray prophetically using the principles embedded in this passage in Isaiah 43. Look at Isaiah 60 verse 4 also. Lift up your eyes round about and see they all do what? They gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried up in, in arms. 